0: This is Overdrive on TSN 1050, the TSN app, and also up on TSN 2. Mark Rowan for Brian Hayes alongside Frankie Corrado and the O-Dog, Jeff O'Neill. Uh, the Leafs back at home. They will play their next game on the weekend against the Oilers, who happen to be in action tonight against the Boston Bruins. Oh kind of mentioned it uh, in the last segment, the benchmark games, whether that, that exists. But uh, I think
1: coaches like it death row more than anything because they can always... It's a reference point for them. They can always go back and say, that game against Boston when you guys were dialed in and everyone was firing on all cylinders, they just like referring to stuff like that. Or they can say... Don't be doing that stuff like you did in Boston a couple weeks ago. It's always when there's a big game like that, it's a reference point for uh, coaches. Mm -hmm. And they always look back on it, whether positive or negative. Well, how
2: many times last year did we hear about the Leaf game in Carolina, which I thought was a pretty mundane game, to be honest with you. And then next thing you know, yeah. Do you remember that game? It was, it early, was early in, the, in the, the
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it, it
2: was like the Carolina game, they lost four one, but Sheldon Keith was talking about it like it was some like monumental <laughs> moment and then they went to Chicago, they sleptwalked through half the game, and then they won in overtime and then it was like a, a November to remember.
1: That was a weird game in Carolina because I thought it was kind of terrible. Same. I was like, they got dummied all over the ice. They got outplayed. They got this. They got that. Yeah. And he was like, ah, you know, I didn't mind it. I kind of maybe it was like reverse psychology or something because he was like, ah, I don't know. I kind of liked it. <laughs> and then he's finished it off with, you know, we saw what a real team could do. And I was like, I have no idea what that messaging is all about. Maybe <laughs> that's above my head and I don't get it. Yeah. And then the, I think. I don't know. There's rumblings of somebody losing it in Chicago after the first. Yeah, or I think it was period. Wayne
2: Simmons or something like that. And I, I thought
1: maybe we were... Dubis came in the room.
2: Who yeah, knows? Yeah, we we might have been making a little too big deal about that because guys, it's not. It's pretty normal for guys to come into the room between periods, whether it's a coach, a GM, a player, and, and just be a little bit more rah rah cheerleader type. It doesn't always. The message doesn't always get through, but every once in a while, when it does, it's one of those things like you're talking about where you go back to it right and refer back to it Um, but you know what you can bet on if a coach thinks that it's a benchmark game you know how a lot of times the coach will wait till about eight minutes left in the intermission before he comes in and talks to you if he doesn't like a period in a benchmark game he's coming right into the room and he's talking to you right away and there will be a louder volume than normal in those games
1: I've seen coaches come in right out like before warm-up, just guys goofing around and just not liking the vibe. They didn't like warm-up? War- no, warm-up before up warm-up, like guys playing jokes, you know, oh, or, or yeah. just like the, the the pre kind of putting your gear on. If, if someone's being goofy or the coach isn't happy with kind of the vibe in the room, I've seen a coach lose it before putting gear on (laughs) for warm-up. It's like you guys – it happened at the World Juniors twice, too, where Don Hay was just like, you guys don't look ready – and it really sharpened people up. Like the, the, the goofiness really stopped.
2: There's a way of doing that, though. But if you want to come in after on-ice warm-up and tell guys they, they kind of looked a little sloppy in warm-up, guys will laugh at you. Like Guys will be like, dude, it's warm-up, man. I'll be ready to go when the puck drops. But well, if you do it the right way, I guess you can get your message across.
0: So who gives the speech Saturday night when you're in the Leafs room and you're about to play an Oilers team that beat you up pretty badly in Edmonton? You You've
1: got enough guys in there that know what's what's going on. And, and like, I always loved the idea of, like, if, if you actually need somebody to come in there. Like, I needed a coach to motivate me and kind of get me going. And I gave the coaches an appetite where, if I wasn't playing well, I could respond to an embarrassment in the locker room and swear words and 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 get your head out of your you know what. And not everybody's the same. But to no. expect some kind of pump-up speech from somebody that's actually going to get your attention, like if you don't know what's at stake and what's available that night against a quality team in like, kind of a spotlight game, yeah, you're not really well, that's getting the thing. Maybe you're in the wrong You
2: way. You walk into the room nowadays, like I don't know what it was like, but now you walk in, there's 18 million screens, and on one big screen you have the other teams line up, you got their power play, you got everything, right? You start looking at some of those names... Saturday night, Oilers, you see McDavid, Dreisidal, you see Hyman in there, you're thinking like you should know what's at stake in that kind of game. And I know in the grand scheme of things, maybe it doesn't it, it's not a big deal because of playoffs. They know they're playing Tampa, all that kind of stuff. But just from a like a, a pride point of view you want to know that you can beat those guys and have a good Saturday night, put on a good show, and leave the arena feeling good. That's the best thing, right there. Like you don't want to leave that arena feeling like crap after a bad game. You know, when everyone's watching and you're playing the biggest opponents.
0: Well, you know, our next guest has a lot of pride in the work that he does. Uh, joining us now on the Maple Total Hotline, our hockey insider, Pierre Lebrun. How are you, Pierre?
3: I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, been watching a bit of golf today. And uh, is it just me or, or the guys that, that went off early today seem to have had an advantage? Uh, they I did, Pierre. Like the what do
1: you yeah. think you would shoot out there?
3: Be honest. Oh, my. Uh, I don't know if they they would have enough characters on a scorecard to retain all my details of my scorecard at that course. I would be That would be trouble. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I played uh, let's see I, I played tpc scottsdale once and and did all right for me given my uh, very low standard for golf uh but i i thought that course in scottsdale was really wide open which probably makes sense because of all the stadium seating they put in there for that event every year but i don't know this course here whew, i mean 17 alone
2: Pierre, what a difference a year makes here in the Eastern Conference. Like last year, we were talking about we knew all eight teams that were going to be in, and now you got a serious playoff race. Islanders are going to play Pittsburgh tonight, but there's a handful of teams there that could be making the playoffs. What have you made of the the competitive balance this year in the East and more teams being in the mix?
3: Yeah, it's been fabulous, and that's why we should uh, bring in a play-in or expand, expand the playoff format. Let's go! What are we waiting for? Come on, We've got thirty-two teams now oh my goodness, uh, you know, uh, Gary Bedman does not want to expand the playoff format. But uh, I'm not going to let go till the day it happens. That's all I'm going to tell you. Um,
0: why is there so much pushback? Sorry to cut you off there, but
3: like, well, yeah, the like why
0: not, not get more teams There's involved. more revenue. There's there's more exposure. There's more, like, Correct. significance in game. Like, it just seems like everything that the league would want.
3: Well, uh, you may not remember this, but at the Board of Governors in December when the owners met and the team presidents and CEOs, et cetera, and and some GMs. Um I, I did kind of a straw poll. I, I it was only about I forget how many, I think a dozen or so governors, and I asked them if they were in, in the in favor of at least a little play in, like a, a very quick best of three like baseball does, I think. And it was twelve nothing, yes. Um, so it's it's not a now, some people are against it. I, I didn't go around the entire room obviously, but no, it's, you know, right now Commissioner Bettman's against it. Um, I asked him about it at the Board of Governors and if, if his laser eyes could, uh, could provide a quote that were going through my skull, I think I could give you a better answer than what he actually gave me. Mm. But, um, I get it. I mean, he's very protective of the sanctity of the 16 team, uh, field that makes the playoffs. My counter argument is that at least with the play in, you're saying it's a chance to get into the 16 team field. You're, you're preserving the history of that 16 team field. You're, but what you're saying is that there's so much parity. We have got 32 teams. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it seems to me that uh, you know, the, the version of this in both the NBA and, and baseball has been well accepted. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, I, I do think it's really time for, for the NHL to look at it in some version or another. Um, and, and I suspect where the, uh, where this will eventually get to a more serious discussion is when uh, ESPN and TNT weigh in at some point, the new US TV partners. And when they say, why aren't we looking at this? And I suspect that's when finally the conversation might, might have some legs, but right now it's, it's a no goal for Gary Bevan.
0: Well, in terms of games of significance, we'll see the Oilers take on the Bruins tonight, which, which should be a, a great one. Now, Boston has a chance to become the fastest team to 50 wins in NHL history, you know, and and you know they're in that kind of category of like the 0-2 Red Wings and the '96 Red Wings and of course the Lightning from a few years ago and you know all these great teams that we've seen before. Is that the chatter around the league that they are in that sort of dominant once in every kind of 10-15 years team or? Is there some hesitation with the Bruins because they don't have you know a Vesna goaltender who's won a cup before and has proven himself uh, outside of this year?
3: Right, and, and probably because you're younger than me, you didn't mention the team that I think is still the standard, right? The '77 halves with the eight losses—that's um, considered the greatest single season team ever, I think, um, by a lot of people. But I know that that's a long time ago. '76 um, or '77—I always mix up those two seasons. But, um, I, listen, I, I, I think, I think this should, you know, I, I think we should absolutely applaud what we're seeing here from the Boston Bruins on so many levels. I, I think to answer your question, the hesitation, and this is completely anecdotal for me, but, you know, Tampa won 62 games in 2019 and got smoked in the first round. I'm not, yeah, I don't think did. there's a chance, I don't think there's a chance, a very good chance that happens at all with this Boston team, but it is, a league full of parody, And uh, I I just think that there was a lot of fanfare with that Tampa team, as there should be, because it had been a long time since anyone had done that, tying the most wins in NHL history. And they got swept by Columbus. I actually covered that series. And I remember picking up my jaw off the the press box table when the the Columbus went up 3-0 that night. But, I think the point is, and Brad Marchand himself, when he was rolling through Toronto earlier this season, brought this up on his own, you know, because he was dealing with, you know, answering questions about the greatness of their season. And he basically said, hey, we know that doesn't mean a whole lot until we get into the playoffs. That's, you know, anything can happen. And he meant it. It wasn't a cliche, because I think one thing we'll know about Brad Marshaw, <laughs> he's not about cliches. And, and so... I think they know in that organization that as special as it is, what they're doing right now, uh, get through round one and get on a roll. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk.
1: Pierre, do you think there's enough right now with the races or the lack of races to kind of have the argument for a 70-game season? I mean, with Toronto locked into Tampa, there's kind of the lull getting into the playoffs. Or are the races with Calgary and Winnipeg and Minnesota and the teams trying to get in compelling enough for the last 10 or 15 games of the season to keep it at 82.
3: Well, listen, I'm with you, dog. I wish. I, I just think there's too much hockey for these guys. and uh, It is, you know, man. It's, it's it, way it too much. Yeah, uh, but it's about the almighty dollar in HR, as you know. I mean, if there was a way to have fewer games, but still. Uh, uh, be able to take care of your TV partners and, and take care of HR and make sure that no one takes a hit. Sure, but there really isn't. Um, so, uh, I don't see the day where there's fewer than eighty-two games. If anything, there are people pushing to go to eighty-four games mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in exchange for shortening the, the, the preseason. And you know, I'm not in favor of. I'm in favor of shortening the preseason for sure, but I'm not in favor of expanding past eighty-two. Like I said, if, you, if you're going to talk about maybe expanding by a couple of games and do the play-in at least do something exciting. <laughs> I mean, if you can expand by three or four days and do something, uh, different than, than, just expanding to the regular season. But, um, you know, the GM meetings are coming up next week. That's not typically the kind of thing that would come up there because that's more of a board of governors, um, item for owners and governors. So I don't think you'll see that discussed next week, but, uh, You know, I I just think. Listen, I'm sure you guys over the years I've written a story that I run almost every year where I I talk about a lot of things I would change, and one of them, uh, you know, which is a a huge one for me, even though I know it's got a chance of a snowball in July, but I would love for the regular season to start in mid to late September and have the Stanley Cup awarded by May 31st. And I've been pounding that one for years and. I know I've had players reach out to me every time I write it saying, you know, that they're completely in favor of it. But that is something that a lot of uh, southern U.S. team owners would never vote in favor for. In fact, uh, quite famously, there was a a governor of a southern U.S. team uh, several years ago at a board of governors meeting that suggested that the NHL season doesn't start until November. And that they award the Stanley Cup in late July, early August. That's crazy. What? That's so, that's uh, bonkers. Well, believe me, that got no traction, but my point is what a lot of us up here would like to see with the season, and I think we're all ready for hockey come September, right? The kids of are course. back to school and drop the puck you know, September first. <laughs> yeah. Well so, they play
2: eight you play eight preseason games, a lot of these teams. And the best players only play four, let's say. And so you're playing, yeah, and you're playing your AHL guys, your junior guys. It it feels like GMs have a whiteboard. They know what they want to do already going into the season. If there's someone you really want to give a look at, you can do it in a smaller amount of games and still get a real look. And most of the time, those players are on entry level deals and they're starting the year in the American Hockey League, anyways, and then they're getting
3: called up at some point. It it feels like
2: it really gets dragged on.
3: Like, let's be real. Mm-hmm. There are no job battles at training camp. In no, the very HL. three, come Three very exhibition
1: games. Three exhibition games, and that's it.
3: Yeah, like, come on, let's be real. Uh, your team is set in the summer. It's all cap-related. It's, it's I mean, you want to take a look at a kid for nine games, I guess. But, come on. Uh, I mean, outside of injuries, forcing unexpected roster decisions, you know. And, and the players come in in tip-top shape. I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, I would absolutely want to see it truncated. You know, that's definitely something I would change. And uh, and you know what? Listen, there's lots. I mean, now you got me going on a rant. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been saying this for years that um, the fact that free agency is in the first week of July, when both the national holidays in the U.S. and in Canada are three days apart. Is I'm, I'll never forget when Ryan Suter and Zachary, they signed in, in Minnesota, one of the biggest days in Minnesota wild history. Neither newspaper published that day because it was July 4th. Like, right. why is this not happening 48 hours after the draft ends? Now, it just so happens this year. will <laughs> because the draft is so late in Nashville. But I'm saying in a normal year, I've advocated this for years. But if the draft is June 23rd, like it is many years, right, around, around the third weekend of June, why is it for agency? Forty-eight hours later, after the agents have just spent the entire weekend with the GMs anyway, the and draft? all the
2: teams are together. They're all together. Yeah. They're they're all in their Let's war go. room before the draft. It, it just makes sense. They can do it all wherever they are, or get back to the city, and then guys don't have to spend that awkward time. Do you go home? Do you not go home? Do you go with the team? Like, there's it. It yeah. makes way more sense, Pierre.
3: Yeah, and and you know it's I I've and I've talked to GMs about it in the past, and and it's like. They hadn't really thought of it, but yeah, a lot of GMs were in favor of that. Um, I mean, the idea that you're waiting another ten days for the start of free agency—oh, right, we're going to wait till then to talk to free agents. Okay, yeah, that's happening. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, the fact that they even got rid of the speaking period for the UFAs is is, is kind of funny when you think about it, because we know what's going on behind the scenes. So. Yeah, uh, you got me on a rant here, guys. I didn't know this was going to happen. I got lots for you.
0: We're solving uh, hockey's problems. Now, um, Winnipeg needs to solve some problems.
3: Oh, boy. They
0: lost last night. Rick Bonus loved the way that they played, but Marc-Andre Fleury had a say in that one. And, And Death Row, didn't it
1: seem like not long ago they were, like, dialed in, and it's like, watch out for these guys. Yeah, tough spot in the in the West. Now they're fighting for their life.
0: Well, and I and I bring it up Pierre because you know in your article of the deals that didn't happen, you brought up Pierre Luc Dubois, and it would have seemed pretty strange if they they departed from Dubois, given the fact that they are still a contender. If they don't make it, and we we know what happened last off season, what is the state of the Winnipeg Jets if they go another year without making the postseason?
3: Yeah, that was. That would be pretty tough to take. And, and you know, and just so we're clear, uh, he wasn't even a, a, a conversation for the deadline. The Jets were not taking calls on him. The reason he's in that article was more about looking ahead to the summer and where he is going to be a decision, right? I mean, he, he indicated through his agent, Piper last summer that he wasn't ready to commit long-term to the Jets, and he's our Fajal at first. So there's some interesting decisions coming, I think, for Winnipeg. And and, and honestly, I could say this for a lot of teams, but obviously playoff results of a, I I mean, obviously could say this for the Leafs what happens in the playoffs has a way of having a huge bearing on on how the offseason will play out but in terms of the Jets if if they were actually going to completely fall out of it and miss the playoffs yeah that that would be tough I I don't see where a change of heart would have happened for Dubois so I think you know unless they're forcing a arbitration one-year award on him my guess is they they would have to you know, trade him this summer. And then, then you got Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. And this has been kind of quieter, especially on the Hellebuck side of things. But those guys have one year left on their deals they're UFA. And, uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, every guy is different. It's not like these guys get together and, and make group decisions about the future. But if Dubois is traded this summer, I mean, you know, what does Shifley think of his future in Winnipeg? What does Hellebuck think of his future in Winnipeg? And it may be that they decide to extend. I don't know, but I'm just saying you have to ask the question, right? And so it could be one of those momentous off seasons in Winnipeg. And so listen, I hope for them because they're a better fan base in a the league. They're unbelievable there. I hope that they rescue this season, get in and and have a run because I think that would at least give uh, a lot of the a lot of people there more to think about heading into the summer, but they've not played great now for quite a while. Um, you know, and I think Haliburton for a while was really kind of saving that slide with his performance, but I think even he's been sort of overrun here of late. Um, So, yeah, it's it's desperation time here for the Jets right now.
1: Pierre, I get asked the question a lot, and it's with the decision-making for, like, the Matthew Kachuk when he went to the Calgary Flames, and obviously William Nylander and Austin Matthews are coming up. Mm -hmm. Do you think that... The message would already be l- relayed, like to what the intentions are. Like, do you think the Maple Leafs would already know what the intentions of all of that are already, or is that something that it's like real time?
3: I think, I think, O'Dog, um, that the the playoffs have to play out in the moment, and I think I've said this before. Uh, on, on this show, but in the moment, if you're asking me what I, in particular, again, got to be careful not to lump, you know, Matthews with Nylander, two different players, two different decisions. I think in the moment, if Austin Matthews had to decide now, like, let's pretend there was a deadline tomorrow, I think he signs an extension. I think he loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. But again, let's see what finally happens here, right? In the first round. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't think you can live in the mythical world where. Where the damage of another first round loss mm-hmm. can't can be ignored, especially when you have a on so, an expiring deal but so you're saying like equal, a four
1: a four game sweep could like if the decision was coming in two days and it, you would say right now there would be an extension, yeah. but if there's a four game sweep, that's something that could
3: alter that decision potentially. But maybe yeah. Austin still wakes up and says, "You know what? I still believe in this team." And, and you know, but the reason I the reason I'm saying the playoffs matter, and they do for most teams, by the way. You know, I mean Brad Fielding's on an expiring deal in Calgary, right? Let's see if they get it or not. I mean, this is going on around the league; it's not just Toronto. But what I'm saying is, you know, what if it's a bad first round, and there's a change at the GM position, there's changes elsewhere. How does that not impact what you think if you're Austin Matthews? That, 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 that's why I'm bringing it up it's not like these, these decisions aren't in a vacuum they're not isolated, they're all attached to what's the bigger plan what's what's the vision of this franchise now, is a reset coming or are we still taking more runs at this you know, all things being equal you know um, you know this team has had another great year, I think Austin Matthews loves being a Leaf um, you know, I think as long as it's not a disaster in the first round. I don't see why MLSC wouldn't want to bring Kyle Dubas back, in my opinion, but I have no intel on that. But I just know that the way that other jams around the league view Kyle Dubas, they think the least would be crazy not to sign him. Um, so if all those things happen and it's not carnage, then I don't see why Austin Matthews wouldn't resign. But to to try and, and answer that right now, even if we had Austin Matthews on with his agent, uh, Gemma Oliver right now, I think they would give you a version of probably what I just did, that they're happy, and right now their intention is to sign, but let's see what happens.
2: Pierre, we see it a lot in the NBA where teams and management types will make certain decisions maybe to appease players on their roster in hopes of pleasing them. I'm not saying we see that a lot in the NHL, but how dangerous of a game is that to get into when you're trying to make personnel decisions just to please certain players instead of having this long-term focus as far as winning and having a sustainably uh, successful
3: franchise? I mean, listen, I, the reality of it is that, you know, there are certain players that, that drive your team that demand that kind of attention. Let's be real. I mean, you know, you don't think that Ken Holland and Edmonton was feeling the heat to go get Mateus Echo? To try and to try and give his team every chance again possible with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle and their contract status for the next couple of years, like it's win now in Edmonton um, because of those two players. Come on, let's be real here. Um, and is there a danger in that? I, I, I guess, but it's also realistic. Are, are you not going to try and maximize every chance you have to win a cup while you have Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle under contract? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean. that's that's just the reality of it, and I think that, you know, I mean, the Boston Bruins, we started the whole conversation with them, and, and their unbelievable season, um, the way they've approached their season as all-in is a complete byproduct of Patrick Bergeron saying, okay, I'm going to come back for at least another year, and David Krejci coming back from the Czech Republic, um, Czechia. If those guys don't come back, I'm not sure this is the same type of year for the Bruins, and not just for the obvious on-ice impact of a guy like Bergeron, who's probably going to win another selfie trophy. I, I mean, for perhaps the domino effect of, oh, okay, maybe we need to retool on the fly here if, if 37's not back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I guess my point is every organization, in a way, is impacted by those decisions from their top players.
0: We'll, we'll let you go on that note, Pierre. Unless the Cowboys acquire DeAndre Hopkins between now and seven o'clock, and we'll bring you back on and get your instant analysis on that. Okay?
3: Oh baby, I'm excited <laughs> about the Cowboys again. Let's go. Dude, awesome stuff.
2: It's that's
1: like so, a, so pathetic. It's man. like a like sickness, a joke. man.
3: It is. <laughs> oh,
1: I love it. Is that the talk that they're looking to get not. DeAndre Hopkins? <laughs> yeah. Is
3: that the talk that they want Hopkins? Come yep. on. Well, yep. they need a wide receiver for sure. they only got one right now.
0: There's that. Stefan Diggs, cryptic text or, or tweets, I should say, that, that fans Trayvon Diggs man. retweeted.
2: Jerry Jones could kick you guys in the pills and you'd still be like, yeah, go Cowboys. I can't wait for uh, the season.
0: Nah, I don't know about that.
3: <laughs> hey, we, we hey can be- all I have to say is the Cowboys put Tom Brady into retirement and I was there. Okay? That That's is true. Problem. Here, let me just, <laughs> uh, you can answer this and we're
1: going to end this segment with this question. Okay? All right. Do you think
3: Dak Prescott is elite? I believe he yes is or no. at the bottom end. Well, I, I'm answering it. I, so, the, the the description of elite, is. I want to know what it is in your eyes. I think he's the bottom end, bottom end of the top tier. So, in other words, I have him between off 8 the and phone, 10. Man. <laughs> well, he is. At, and, and that's where most evaluators have him 8 to 10 out of 32. For sure he is.
1: Wow, I, I don't know. There's something about that guy. I wouldn't trust that guy. Would you? Would game. you
2: hold a sign, Pierre, that said Dak is elite at a game? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. Yes. There, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah.
0: There you have it. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> awesome stuff, Pierre.
3: We we've covered everything that matters to me almost. Though. Yeah. This is great.
0: This is we're we're good. You're 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 good for the week. You know, like just make it a long weekend for you. <laughs>
3: See
0: you, boys. Okay, awesome stuff. Pierre Lebrun joining us on the Maple Toyota Hotline. Build your next dream Toyota at Maple Toyota. And check out Maple Toyota's pre-owned inventory arriving daily. It's time to Toyota. Visit mapletoyota.com. Dak Prescott will kick off Life or Death Row. I'm just kidding. No, he won't. But. Maybe. But maybe should be. We'll, we'll, should we'll be. ask. Is Dak Prescott is elite. Life or death. <laughs> <laughs> Give it the sizzle. Give it the sizzle. That is coming up on Overdrive. TSN 1015 on TSN 2.
1: Bet you D. Rowe is a Bills fan. That's right. We're too smart for him. Yeah, we are, aren't
0: we? I thought you guys thought we were boys. I'm a Cowboys fan. Oh my god, oh, you Three uh, bring- last words, Boyle.
3: I know nothing about that bulldozer.
0: Give him the juice. Hey, you uh you Death Row? I am. Talking about. That's right. I forgot that you thought I was a Bills fan. That was that was something else,
1: though. El. Dude, I'll tell you what, the Cowboys Nation, it's a problem like Leaf's <laughs> Nation. Like Glenn Schiller, of all people. He just sends me a text, and it's like some board with Dak Prescott. Comparison. Oh, we all got it. We, yeah.
0: I, I, I love it. It's great. Dak That's, Prescott in seven seasons. It's like but you know. I'm telling you, it's 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 just it's the
1: same thing every year. And since I started doing this job, I have never seen something overhyped. And even like analysts, they're like at the beginning of the year, they're like, "This is the the year the Cowboys get this done," and I'm like, "It's never the year." Is this guy for real with that language. Dude, the the and Cowboys. then they just something implodes. They self in, they they self inflicted wound. I, I, it's just a weird thing, man.
2: The Cowboys fans they can sniff out Cowboys conversations from miles away. <laughs> like can. if you're if you're in a neighborhood and someone's doing some yard work or doing some renos, guys seem to like gravitate towards it. They just want to know what's going on. Cowboys fans are like that. Someone's talking Cowboys. It could be an Ajax. They're there, and they yeah. got a stat for you. Hot and Glenn Tony Sheiler's Pollard. Talk.
0: Board. Hot Tony Pollard talk. <laughs> yeah,
2: they
1: are something else. They like they bother people. I can understand why <laughs> Leafs Nation.
0: They bother people, right? Because the Cowboys fans are the same. Yeah. On that note, life or death row. If you remember, I will read out a tweet. Yes. And we will give it life or the Jeff chair. O.
1: Frankie, you can always go first, and I'll follow
0: after you. Okay. All right. We're going to start with uh, Coach Frank, who's uh, – who's, it's Lou Brown with a Maple Leafs hat on. <laughs> Matthew Nyes will start on left wing with Matthews and Marner. Game one versus Tampa, and Bunting will play with Ryan O'Reilly on the third line.
2: It's not a bad premise, Death Row, but ultimately I'm going to give this the chair, JP. I'll tell you why. Matthew Nyes is coming out of college. He's never played in the NHL. It's too much responsibility to have to put on this player. Furthermore, Michael Bunting, when he couldn't play or barely played last year because he had a hurt ankle, that hurt the team. And if Michael Bunting is healthy and able to play, he is best suited to play on the first line. Jeff. Give it the sizzle, please,
1: <laughs> J.P. Perry.
2: I have to let people know that
1: just because you're a stud college hockey player doesn't mean that you're entitled to just put the Maple Leafs jersey on and skate out onto the ice in the National Hockey League and be the same thing that you are in college hockey. Would it be a pleasant surprise? Did guys like Mike Johnson do that? Yes, he did. But it's not a guarantee. There is no guarantee in this, in this league that it will translate immediately. So would I like to see it? Do I think it would be an unbelievable fit to have a young guy that's hungry, who's got some size, that can create some problems? It would be fantastic, but it's just not an automatic. And Michael Bunting, uh, that, that, that's another story. I, uh, he can be inconsistent, and I don't like the goofiness with the refs. But doesn't the guy kind of work his ass off every night? Bet. I I, I yeah. kind of think he does. And for, for a team that doesn't have a bunch of energy, guys, and I know the coach is trying to motivate and make him play his best – It seems like there's a lot of guys that get away with murder out there, and this guy, someone's on his ass all the time. I I find it to be quite
2: ironic. And I know he doesn't fight, and we talk about that. That's well documented. But when he's playing with Matthews and Marner and people want to get into scrums with those guys, give him a little shot after the whistle, even though he's not going to drop the gloves, and we now know that, he's still in there, man. Like, he's doing the face wash. He's mouthing off at guys. He'll give you a stick somewhere. Like there's still something to that even though he's not necessarily just going to drop the gloves and fight because in the playoffs no one fights anyways and and the key thing is game 1 like let's
0: give him a little bit of a learning curve here and to think that he's going to be a prominent you know uh, component of that top line A top line that, as O brings up, needs Michael Bunting, as we have seen that Sheldon Keefe is trying to wake him up because he knows how important he is to that line, and that's the kind of player that he's going to need in the playoffs. It's a hat-trick of sizzle.
1: Oh, I've never heard of the sizzle (laughs) hat-trick. Yes.
0: Uh, Our next one. Matt Murray does not play a single game in the first series of the playoffs.
1: I am going to give that... JP, give me Simba up in the air. (laughs) But I think I screwed up. I think I screwed up. Because the tweet... Can you put the tweet up again? I think I completely butchered this. Matt Murray does not play a single game in the first series... I screwed up. Give that the sizzle,
2: please. <laughs> 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 That's a really bad move. That's the a really bad move. Premature Simba. Well, first of all, like, you said I was going first for every single one, and you jumped I screwed it up, he was and too I won't excited. do it again. I won't do it again. <laughs> please explain I, yourself. I
1: just got this feeling that everybody, and as well, like Craig Button said the other day, you think Samsonov's the guy, and he earned it. But Matt Murray's got that... that thing in his back pocket with the two Stanley Cups that I think everyone involved is fascinated with and why wouldn't you be he's got the job done at the most important time and fan base management players aren't you kind of sniffing around and looking around corners saying can we get that one more time can we just get it one more time yeah and if he shows any type of form it's almost like he's got a bit of a lead regardless of what happens going into the
0: playoffs. That's all I'm going
1: to say but about he didn't, that. But he
0: didn't win a cup last year. Like, he won one in 2017. Yeah. Last point, That's last time. Excellent point. It's a good point. Excellent point. Now,
1: I'm going to si- give myself, JP, for what I did to this segment, give me the sizzle, please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here's where I'm at. I'm somewhere in the middle, Can't but I'm leaning more towards life. Save! right that's right and i think you were on to something the first time jeff when you gave this life and i'll tell you why because we talked about it yesterday you don't need to win a series in seven games you don't even need to win a series in six you can win a series well before that and if the leafs Start the series with Samsonov, and things are going well. You're not just going to pull the plug on him if he has one bad game. And if the Leafs are going to win the first round, chances are after one bad game, they're going to have a good game after it, and Elias Samsonov will play all of those games.
0: Yeah, Samsonov is, really has, has has earned the net, to, in in my opinion, at this point. How much does Matt Murray play between now and the end of the regular season? Sorry, I should rephrase. How healthy is Matt Murray between now and the end of the regular season? How much trust can you put in him? I think that you're going to start the playoff series with Samsonoff. And I'm an optimist. I think the Maple Leafs win a playoff series this year, which means Samsonov plays well, which means give me Simba.
2: Is it fair to say that if you're juggling between goaltenders, you might not win that series death row?
1: I don't know, man. Pittsburgh did it and it's I like know, they did it. They it. also but did it, how many times they did it without like sp-
0: any good defensemen in the one year. Like it's a tough model to follow. All
2: right. What do we uh, got, Death Uh, uh we're going to go to golf.
0: Live tour players win at least half of the majors in 2023.
2: Ooh. Okay. This is, this is, spicy. is a spice this is a spicy one. This is very controversial. I'm going to give that life. Oh, wow. That's it. That's it.
1: I just think when you're talking about Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson, the way they play golf, Brooks Kepgates it's back on form. You put them in a real tough venue. They always got a chance to win. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens at Augusta National. Does those guys playing three rounds only have an effect on their career playing a cut event with four rounds? I'm not sure. That's I don't tough know. If how do you know yeah.
0: who's in form playing on that tour? Like
1: that's no, the don't. tricky
2: part. You
0: don't. Like not to say that oh is is wrong naming those guys and their capability of winning, but like you know when you make your picks with Hayes, you're talking about like how a guy played. At, at Bay Hill or how a guy played at the Players' Championship. Like, you're going off of, like... Yeah, so at the exhibition that they played at some golf tournament that, like...
2: Yeah, they, the guy he, won it on the sixth hole with 14 people watching. JP, give it the chair. Thank you, oh. JP. And I'll tell you why. Jeff, <laughs> okay. you, you mentioned two players. You said Cam Smith. You said Dustin Johnson. And the conversation yes. ends after that because Brooksy Boy... Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, irrelevant when it comes to these big tournaments. They will not be in the mix. So just based on the fact that if you look at the field of the PGA guys with Rahm, Spieth, Scheffler, Morikawa, the list goes on and on and on, I just like the odds of those guys winning. Only two live players can win.
0: What about
1: your boy Patrick Reed? The one point you made, Mark, yeah, Patrick Reed, he can win. He's a really good player. Like, how do you know? I think that's why they're not getting any world ranking points because. Uh, do you ever see them play? Like, I haven't seen Phil Mickelson or Bryson DeChambeau hit a golf ball in two years. I
2: thought it was on YouTube, and I tried to go on YouTube to watch it. It wasn't I ain't on going anymore. on
1: there to watch where, golf. Where I is it?
2: CHCH. Yeah. Well, so I, it was. I actually found a way to tune in afterwards, and it was funny because the PGA event was happening at the same time. They were both wrapping up at the same time. I can't remember who won. Was it Charles Howell III? He won last week or two weeks ago. And it was like a little golf clap. There was like 15 people around watching. And then you look at the, the PGA event. There's a big ca- gallery on 18. It's like, it's way more compelling to watch PGA. There's We more, know that anyways. There's more
0: drama at O's Club Championship than there are on the Live Tour. Mm.
2: I find it really corny.
1: The leaderboard's goofy and some tunes at some holes. Yeah. I don't know. As far as watching golf and being a fan of golf, it's a pretty old school approach where it's like I want to see four rounds. I like watching it at, after work on Thursday and Friday, and
0: I don't know. I don't even I, know I, if it's old school because like I I've I embrace yeah, maybe like just normal. But it's just it's it's competition. Like I don't know like what kind of ranking points do you give for winning a tournament with three rounds? That is the the, the no cut, the, no cut. The money's already guaranteed. The you know, like you're clearly not up against. Also, the world. shotgun the start, best. like
2: you're not playing the course the way it's designed like to it, be played. Like eighteen is eighteen for a reason. Like all these holes are designed to be played in the order they're built, not start on eight and finish on seven.
1: Yeah, you would think that they would originally want to work in their quirky things that made them different with a model of somewhat being similar if that makes any sense like we want to make this viewing for the for the viewer very similar to the PGA tour right. and the goofy stuff like the leaderboard we're going to just we, we can't do that I, I don't know it's 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 a really weird idea
0: okay we got to move quickly and we'll go to baseball you say Kikuchi will have a lower era than jose barrios this season <laughs> I'm giving that the sizzle could have could,
1: give it more, one more please, <laughs> and again. <laughs> Barrios is under the gun. You talk about guys like Dregs used to do a hockey segment called Under Pressure or Under the Gun or something at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. or it would be like Hot Seat or something. Barrios is that guy in baseball for the Blue Jays because he got the bag of money. And he better be a stud this year. It was an off year. And I don't know how long it would take you guys, but it would be game one struggle. I'm worrying and I'm concerned Mm -hmm. that there's something really wrong. So he better get it together.
2: I, I agree with you. Like, Barrios is the guy under the gun. He underperformed last year. He's getting paid to be an ace. And maybe you can't expect him to be an ace, but he sure as hell could be pretty close to that. But regardless of all the pressure he's under, there is no way... You say Kikuchi will have a lower ERA than him. JP, give me the sizzle. Oh yeah. You
0: say Kikuchi having a bounce back year would be really nice for the Jays. They need Jose Barrios to have a bounce back year. Like up, yep. his ceiling is so much higher than Kikuchi. And
1: you know what? You know what would be a nice bonus death row if Kikuchi rebounded as well.
0: I, absolutely. But I think they're in more trouble if Barrios doesn't bounce back no than kidding. if Kikuchi doesn't bounce back. So for the sake of the Blue Jays, give it to me. The sizzle. Oh, we got to do one more. We got we to go to break. We'll do one more at the end of the show.
2: Okay. All right.
0: All right. Life or death row after. There's,
2: one, there's one I'm looking at right now, and it's going to cause a stir with Jeff. Okay. There's your tease. All right. What also tease. also tease. coming up, Dave Poulin to kick
0: off the 6 o'clock hour, and Josh Lundberg will get his thoughts on Fred Van Vliet's comments after their loss. To the L.A. Clippers. That's all coming up. This is Overdrive on TSN 1050 and on TSN 2. Centers around our Canadian guy, Dylan Brooks. Oh, yeah? And Draymond Green. Ooh. Um, Here's how it starts. So, Brooks had this to say about Draymond. (laughs) I don't like Draymond at all. I just don't like Golden State. I don't like anything to do with them. Draymond talks a lot, gets away with a lot, too. His game is cool, With Golden State, but if you put him anywhere else, you're not going to know who Draymond is. Here's what Draymond Green, who went on his podcast, had to say about Dylan Brooks.
3: Gets away with a lot, too.
0: What
1: exactly do I get away with? I have 15 texts, one less than your dumbass. Okay, great. His game is cool. If you ever wondered... Why the Memphis Grizzlies is not ready to compete for a championship? Look no further than this idiot right here. They're actually depending on this guy to help them win a championship. And he says his game is cool. Quite frankly, that just shows how little you know about basketball. Your level of understanding the game of basketball is at a fan level. And yet, y'all, you running around talking about a dynasty?
0: He starts after you. Not with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's uh, Draymond Grain who's he's got the resume to back it up. One wrong message. guy to
1: go after. Wrong guy to go after with his mouth yeah. and his own podcast. You know that there are some guys that keep that quiet and they don't even respond. Not that
2: guy. No. And the one message he said about winning, right? Like, regardless of what you think of Draymond's game and you think it's cool you're right, like it's the wrong guy to go after, but you hear him there, it's like, no, we we care about winning, and he's won there. And
0: So as a player, what would you rather have, that response or the response that Kobe Bryant gave Raja Bell when he said, who is this guy? I don't know this guy.
2: Who is this guy? Who seems is this like. guy? Like, obviously players know who you are around the league. Yeah. That one is the one that's going to hurt a little bit more because it's like this guy's basically calling you a loser and saying there's no way your team is going to win with you on that team.
0: Could get uh, pretty spicy if these two teams play in the playoffs, which could happen.
1: It right? could. Right now, I it's Rick, I a guy in the minors, and his name was Scott Nickel. He was playing for Buffalo, I think, or Nashville. He was a good little player, but we got into we it. Didn't, we didn't have any history, and I remember chirping him saying, you're going to be in the minors, and you'll never be in the NHL again. And I remember retiring, moving to South Florida, and I turned a game on, and there he was out there playing. <laughs> that guy must be thinking... That bum O'Neal's not even <laughs> in the league anymore, and he had the nerve yeah. to hurt me like is that. he not?
2: I think he's an assistant GM with Nashville. Yeah, he's yeah. like in
1: management now, yeah. Scott yeah. nickel
2: I guess you're not going to be his uh, special assistant to the GM anytime soon. <laughs> I don't soon. think so.
1: Or will I be getting any <laughs> scoops from Nashville? <laughs>
2: no. Okay.
0: No. Awesome. Um, we're going to be joined by Dave Pullen to kick off the 6 o'clock hour. Josh Lewenberg, we'll get into the NBA with him and Fred Van Vliet's comments, and maybe he has a, a thought on Draymond versus Dylan. We'll have to see as uh, Overdrive continues on TSN 1050, the TSN app, and also up on TSN 2.